pray a moment. Lord, thank you this morning. You are worthy. And so we come to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you're not a faraway God, but a God who is near and who calls. We pray now, Holy Spirit, come and give us eyes and ears to hear and to see. We pray, Lord, that you'd open the scriptures to us and that you would take my words and fill them that we might be led to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So one of my favorite movies growing up was the Blues Brothers. Not really a movie that stands the test of time all that well, but when it was released, it was fairly unique. I think it might have been the first R-rated movie I saw, so I can't necessarily like recommend it, but, you know, that was my life. Um, and it was intriguing because there was this movie about these two ex-convict wannabe musicians who were trying to raise money to save the orphanage that they had grown up in. And any time they were asked about what they were doing, what they were up to, what this was they were trying to accomplish, their standard response was, we're on a mission from God. That's right. Somebody we're on a mission from God. And they always said it as if they believed it. We're on a mission from God. We can't be stopped because we're on a mission from God. And the very idea that these, these really fairly inept and completely unworthy humans could be on a mission from God was, of course, the gag or the joke running through the movie. The thing is, is that's actually based on the reality of history, that inept, unworthy humans can be on a mission from God. That's the story of the scripture. That's the story of Jesus's life. He wasn't inept, of course. And that's the story he calls each one of us into to be a part of his mission in the world. Everybody say, I'm on a mission from God. God is calling you. He's calling you to himself for the sake of others. That's the way call works. He calls us to himself. He calls to me. And he calls me out for the sake of others, to me and for others, to me and for others, to me and for others. If you ever get confused, to me and for others. Now, God's call, of course, isn't just for pastors. It isn't just for missionaries or evangelists. It's for all of us. It's for plumbers and it's for teachers and managers and doctors and lawyers and stay-at-home parents and chemists and salespeople. We're on mission for God, if we belong to him. And that's what we see in the Gospel of Mark today in chapter 1. We'll see what the mission is. It's first and foremost a call to the Gospel. The first call to each one of us is a call to the Gospel. And from the Gospel, then to be his disciples for the sake of other people. So we go to the text in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Notice that he repeats there the gospel. It's all about the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. And he tells people to repent and believe in the gospel of God. Now, the word gospel was really well known in those days. They understood it. It's different than nowadays. Usually when you hear the word nowadays, it's like, well, I'm in the gospel choir. And that means like a certain kind of church music that you sing. But in Jesus' day, gospel was a word that was just fraught with meaning. 
It, it was a word of magnitude, news of such ground-shaking magnitude that everything changed for the better. Life-shaking, time-altering, history-making. That's the kind of news gospel was, and it produced in its hearers great joy. It was the word that was used when battles were won. It was a word that was used when kings ascended to the throne. It was a word that was used when slaves got out of their bondage and were suddenly free to live their lives. Tim Keller writes in his book, King's Cross, a gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that has been done for you that changes your status forever. So when Jesus begins by saying, repent and believe in the gospel, he's not talking so much about your behavior, although it might affect your behavior. He's talking about a complete reorientation of yourself. That's what repent means, turning away from yourself as the center of life and turning to God and believing. Believing what? The good news. Believing the gospel. That God is calling you. God is calling, not in an abstract sense, but God is calling you through his son Jesus. And he has provided a way for you to connect with him, to know him, not on the basis of what you've done or on the basis of what you haven't done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done for you in history, on your behalf. Dale Moody rightly said, people are born with their backs toward God. And when a person truly repents, they turn right around and they face God. But what do you discover when you do that? Well, you discover a God who is holy and a God who is just and magnificent and extraordinary, who rightly judges our self-absorption, our self-centeredness, and yet who is also loving and compassionate and who moves in response to our needs by sending his son to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to put everything right between us and God, to rescue us, to change us, and to make us his forevermore. That's the gospel. And that's what Jesus calls you to believe, the good news. It's not a suggestion. It's not a tip. It's not a life hack or a principle to improve what you're already doing, and goodness knows it's not religion. It is the most glorious news of all. The king has come in person, in history, to live and die for you to bring you to God. That is the gospel. And of course, as I said, it's not abstract. When Jesus begins preaching the gospel, it's in Galilee. It's along the Sea of Galilee. He's speaking to real-life people in their real lives, to fishermen and to merchants, to people like us. And he calls them in the midst of their real lives to respond to him. So verse 16 says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, notice, none of these brothers comes to Jesus on their own. 
No, first he calls. The work of God always comes first. Grace always proceeds. It always comes after us. God is always seeking those who will respond to him. First he calls them. And the same is true for us. None of us comes to Jesus on our own. It just doesn't work that way. That's the nature of self-absorption. That's the nature of self-centeredness. If you have believed, you've done so because in some way, he has called you and you have responded. And therefore, none of us can boast. Look what I did. Look who I am. No, 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 no. I'm just a beggar who's found the source of all bread, of all life. And it's good news. Now, what does he call them and us to do? Well, to put him first in our lives, right? To walk around, in a sense, with one of those plastic fan fingers. You're number one. Not in actuality, but in the way we live, in the way we respond, the way we act, the way we approach him, that you are number one, your kingdom, your heart, your way is first in my life because you are first in my life, Lord. That's why they leave their nets, Simon and Andrew. And that's why James and John leave their daddy and their friends in the boat. Jesus is saying, I'm the king. And to be rightly related to God, you must be oriented with me as first place in your life. Not as a tack on, but as the center. We become followers of his. We reorient to him. In the book, None of These Diseases, S.I. McMillan tells this story about a young woman who was applying to go to college. But her heart sank when she came across the question on the application that said, are you a leader? And as she thought about her life, she thought, no, not really. And because she was conscientious and she was honest, she put on the application, no, I'm not. And she sent it off anyway, even though she was sure that she wouldn't get in. And this is what the college wrote her back. Dear applicant, a study of application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) The call of Jesus is not to lead but to follow. And from following comes any real leadership. We follow him above our careers. Now that's crazy stuff in our culture. We follow him above our aspirations, above our desires, above our families, above our lifestyles and our pursuit of comfort. Don't blaze the trail. We follow. And that's something that, at least for me, and I suspect for many of you, is something you have to learn along the way. Because... It's really true. We're born with our backs to him. And we have to unlearn that over and over throughout our lives. Some of us pick up on it a little faster than others. Galatians 5.25, Paul says it this way. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Not running ahead of the Spirit, not falling behind the Spirit of Christ, Jesus, but keeping in step, learning to follow where he leads and how he leads We learn to follow Jesus. We respond to the gospel and we learn to follow. We learn his ways and we learn his voice. 
We learn God's good, kind temperament, what He loves and what He doesn't. And what happens as we respond is He begins to change us step by step, day by day, moment by moment. Sometimes you have these flashes of change. And other times you wonder, where are you? Is this ever, ever, ever going to let go of me? Will this ever be different? And yet, when we respond to the Gospel and when we follow, His promise is that He will form us. He will shape us. He will change us. He will make us to be like what? To be like Himself. And what is He like? Well, He's loving and kind and patient and good and generous and gentle and self-controlled and merciful. And He speaks up at injustice. And He acts on behalf of those who are in need, who become faithful and available. He takes you through a long-term change process. The theological word, of course, is big and fancy. It's called sanctification. That's not as stale a word as it kind of sounds. It means He makes you like Himself. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, He doesn't make you by, like Himself because you've qualified for it. We go back to the Gospel. Precisely because you don't qualify is why He sanctifies you, is why He changes you, is why He makes you new. Tim Keller says this, if I need a computer programmer... I find a qualified person and I call them. But God, of course, looked across the horizon of humanity and found no one qualified to be His child. So He does not first find qualified people and then call them to be His children. His call qualifies. Qualifies you, qualifies me to be His So we follow and He forms and He shapes and He changes and He makes and He molds and He remakes and sometimes He's knocking off whole sections of the house of your life. But for what purpose? Well, to fulfill His mission in the world. Remember, you're on a mission from God. Everyone say, I'm on a mission from God. You may not be living that way. You may not have ever thought of that before, but your life is communicating some kind of mission, either the mission to raise yourself up or the mission to raise Him up and to raise others up in Him. It's His mission that He calls each one of us to. It's His mission that He wants to shape us and form us to be. And here's the thing. It's not something you have to leave to go do. It's something that often happens best right where you live, in your home, in your family, in your job, in your school, with your friends, in the place where you live. You're rightly suited for His mission through you. In the unique temperament you have, in the unique gifts He has given you, with the unique foibles that go on in your life. It's amazing that even God can use our brokenness And the things that we might be ashamed of, when He transforms them, they can be used to bring good news to other people. That's been what I've seen in my life over and over and over again. He actually often takes the places within me that have been most broken, furthest away, most shameful, and when they've been remade in Jesus, so that He takes the poison and the sting and the shame and the fear and the ugliness out of it, it suddenly becomes something changed and transformed that He can use to bring life and healing and freedom to someone else. 
That's a beautiful thing. We live in a world that hides all that. That says, don't let anybody see that. And God says, no, no, no. That's actually how I make you a trophy of my grace. I display that. He wants us to bring creative goodness into the dark world around us. Sometimes that happens through our actions, the way we treat others. Many times it will happen through our words, whether we don't speak or we do speak. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do is keep your mouth shut. Especially when you want to speak up. (laughs) And then, of course, there are times when everything in you wants to be quiet because you're afraid that someone will think you are weird for loving Jesus, and that's the time to speak up. So be bold. He'll be with you. How do you apply this text? Well, there are one of several ways. Do you hear the call that He's calling to you to come to the Gospel? To stop striving. To stop trying to earn or prove yourself before God. Prove yourself to the world around you by what you have or what you do or the way you look. And simply rest in the good news that He's come for you. He rejoices over you with singing, with love, with kindness, with mercy. Yes, you deserve judgment, but He bears it on your behalf. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. You can be forgiven and set free. Made new. Move out of being an orphan and being into a son or a daughter. So have you responded to the Gospel? Have you repented and believed, begun reorienting your life to His? Reorienting the way you see things and do things, the way you respond to the situations that you find yourself in, that's how you repent. You begin to respond through love for God and love for others. You know, when my, I had the joy of leading my dad to Christ before he died of cancer. A few years before he died, And what was amazing to me, and and I've shared this a time or two, so if you've heard it, I apologize, but but he, he comes to mind to me today. What was amazing in watching him the last few years of his life as the cancer ate away at his physical, he was a big man, he was a strong man, but as the cancer ate away at him, was that he became more and more tender to the people around him. Like, he didn't become the guy who was in church every Sunday and, you know, I don't know, was singing in the band and, you know, or up on the stage preaching. But but what I watched him do was repent. He repented to the woman whom he had been living with for 20 years by marrying her and honoring her above himself. He repented to me, the son that he had abandoned and never given a dime. He left me a small life insurance policy that allowed me to go to seminary. He repented to his granddaughter, whom he had met and lavished on her, just a baby at the time, what he had never given to me. He repented to his mother and his father, whom he had hurt over and over again, and he took care of them, especially after his father died and my grandmother was then alone. He reoriented to God, and it affected the way he lived. Are you repenting? Are you seeing that happen within you? Are you believing His goodness? It takes away the shame and allows you to be vulnerable with the people around you. 
Are you responding to his call to be his disciple? Fancy word for follower. A follower who's being formed as you learn his ways. And then as you live into fulfilling the mission he has for you. Friends, you're on a mission. It's a mission from God. And he promises to walk it with you. To be it for you. To do it through you. You just have to give him the space. Let's pray. Oh Lord, where we have gone our own way, we simply say this morning we're sorry. We pray that you would cause us to be so filled with wonder over the way you love us, over the forgiveness you offer, the grace that it changes us. Life-shaking, world-altering good news. And then form us, Lord, as we follow you to help others to hear this good news too. That light would truly break through the darkness and that the world would know there is a Savior and his name is Jesus. We pray, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Amen.